Then I did the the billion-year contract deal. I signed up for the C organization when I was 25 years old. And I spent 17 years of my life working for that outfit. And I've spent a great deal of time describing and talking about the abusive nature of that group and its environment and the coercive control that goes on there and the, and the physical and psychological abuse. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I am your host, Todd Rennebaum. Thank you for listening and thank you for checking out another episode. It is much appreciated and I guarantee you I, I, I we've got a great episode again this week. This week I'm talking to a fascinating guy. His name is Chris Shelton. He has a YouTube channel and it's called Chris Shelton. And Chris is a former Scientologist he was born and raised into that uh, cult. I was going to say religion, but whatever you want to call it. And uh, in his 40s, he, he decided to leave. Uh, he was in it for so long, he was actually part of their Sea Org or Sea Organization. It's like, um, if, you, if you know Scientology, you know what it is. It's like I'm kind of a naval militant kind of group. Um, but anyway, he left and he started a YouTube channel and he... He's now helping other people that uh, are leaving cults, and he, he's experienced a lot of mental health problems um, during and after uh, leaving Scientology, and he kind of helps people with that and what to expect. So we're, we're going to talk to him about all that kind of stuff. I keep saying we, but it's really just, it's me. Well, it's we, like you and me and everyone else listening, but uh, it's really just me that runs the podcast. So uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, next week, I am talking to ADHD coach Nigel Sutton. Uh, he is out of New Zealand, and he was diagnosed with ADHD later in life. Um, I know I've been talking about it a lot. So yeah, we talk a lot about what it's like being diagnosed later in life with ADHD. Uh, to be honest with you, he does 99.9% of the talking. Uh, he's, he's, he's a very energetic guy. Um, but anyway, so we got that and the week after that, I'm speaking with Amy over and she is a Columbine high school shooting survivor. She was even on the shooters hit list. Uh, and so I talked to her about that and about her podcast series confronting Columbine where for the 20th anniversary, uh, she did a little docu series, uh, about that after the episode today, I'll be reading, uh, some fan mail and giving you some dates and stuff of some live appearances by moi and whatnot. So if you want to stick around, check that out too. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, and without further ado, I give you Chris Shelton. Okay, I am a uh, former second-generation Scientologist. I was I was raised in a Scientology household, and I spent the good part of my life, the the better portion of my life, um, not only practicing Scientology but working for the Church of Scientology. I was a dedicated devotee, and I spent twenty-five years of my life uh, dedicatedly working first at a. Um, city level church of Scientology in Santa Barbara, and then <gasps> joining. I seen that one. Sorry to cut you off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've in been Santa to, Barbara. I've been to Santa Barbara. A few I have friends that live there, and yeah, well, I walked by it right on the main street there, and I was like, "Hey, that's Scientology." Fun. Okay. Yep, five twenty four State Street. Yeah, that's where we were for 
for many years. I even lived in that building for a while. It's an old hotel. Now, they're not there now. They moved down to Ventura. But um, but it's still called the Santa Barbara Org. Anyway, yeah, they call their churches orgs, by the way, for short for organizations. Uh, they don't call them churches, which is kind of its own level of telling. Um, <laughs> and anyway, yeah, so I worked there, and then I did the, the billion-year contract deal. I signed up for the C organization when I was 25 years old, and I spent 17 years of my life working for that outfit. And... Um, and I've spent a great deal of time describing and talking about the abusive nature of that group and its environment and the coercive control that goes on there and the, and the physical and psychological abuse. And that was 17 years of my life. And I, you know, I, I endured that and lived through that and got away in 2012. And um, in the year in 2013, I went down the internet rabbit hole, kind of got all the facts on the thing, like what, had, what have I what have I been involved in that I didn't even realize I'd been involved in, how many lies I'd been told, just really blatant, strong stuff, not little tiny lies or half-truths. I'm talking like life-changing, deceptive uh, measures and um, and decided I needed to, to do something about that. I can't just sit and I'm not the kind of person who just sits and watches other people get victimized. I, I wanted to uh, overcome my own problems and issues and, and uh, mental health you know, problems because of that. And I wanted to help other people. And so what I did is I started a YouTube channel. I ended up writing a book. Um, about Scientology, a breakdown of it, not, not my life story, but, but an analysis of Scientology. And and then just kind of learning and growing and recovering from the from the whole experience. And that's and, and if there's anything that my channel represents, it's it's the journey of a former cult member coming out of that mindset and acclimating to the real world and learning and, and growing and trying to document that journey. Not just what goes on in my own head, though, but how it all works, how all of the psychological traps and deception and and the, the control framework, you could say, of of these groups. And and by groups, I mean destructive cults. And that's what I've now made it my kind of life study is what I do is I, I study this stuff. And so um, that's what my channel has sort of morphed into now is a place people can go to learn about how all this works and why people do it and why people fall for it and how they fall into it and how to deal with it and recover from it. Um, all of those things you'll find uh, on my channel. Mm -hmm. what, what's your channel name again? My name, Chris Shelton. Uh, Chris Shelton, MSC. I put my uh, letters after my name. I finally earned some letters. <laughs> <laughs> that was part of the journey was actually going and getting a, a psych degree in coercive control and learning like, you know, from a psychological level, what's actually going on here. And that was an amazing thing to do. And uh, that's given me, you know, a little bit more uh, credentialed academic, you know, uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> I'm Todd Runnebaum, ADHD. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I have the credentials now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's what I do. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is in my little town here, there are people that are leaving my little town well, I, it's, it's, it's actually all women are grabbing their kids, leaving their husbands, moving to Florida and living in some kind of a 
commune, I guess. And they all have this great leader that they've never met that lives in Hawaii, but she, it's, it's some weird cult that they've all, all these local women in Southern Saskatchewan are now joining and like people I know from my town that are, I'm not familiar with it. What's this group called? Do you I know? don't even know if it has a name yet or if it's just like this. I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I'm not huh. sure. I know the woman I'd have to ask my wife. I'm pretty sure my wife says they don't have a name or a name or they, if they do have a name there, it's amongst themselves. But, um, hmm. a lot of these women were, they sold, um, young living oils and stuff like this, uh, multi-level marketing stuff. Mm. I don't know. I, I know nothing about this stuff and it's so weird to me. Okay. Fair enough. Well, let me say, let me, let me temper some of this with a little dose of, you know, cult vulnerability really isn't any different from somebody who wants to make their life better. Right. You know, if you want to make things better in your life, you're vulnerable to messaging that could deceive you. Hmm. And if somebody's lying to you and presenting you with a picture that is not true, how are you supposed to know that until you could dig in and do research or get experience with the group or find out more about it? You won't know that. And it would be wrong to just assume everybody's trying to deceive you all the time. That would not be a good headspace to be in. So that's how people fall for this stuff. And they get on the on the on this train of thinking that, this path, whatever it is, whether it's a, some multi-level marketing scheme like Amway or Herbalife or something, or it's a religious group like Scientology or the Jehovah's Witnesses, or whether it's some business scam, you know, all the way from a Nexium group to an Enron, people are just trying to get along in life and make their lives better. And that's how these groups appeal to them in the first place. And uh, I don't know anything about this group you're mentioning of people moving down to Clearwater to sell, you know, or, or being involved in essential oils or something, but it's well, it doesn't it's, sound that far from, you know, so many other paths that are offered out there. Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with essential oils. It just happened to be that all these women were in the same group selling oils and then one joined and then she came back to her group of friends. And so then eventually they all one at a time started going down there. So. It just happened yeah. to be that they were all in the same marketing group thing, but Interesting. there, I, you know, hmm. I don't know if there's a, a connection there between the same kind of thinking or anyway, I don't know. Well, it's impossible to say without more knowledge, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, just going down there on a vacation or something, I, I have no idea, right? I only know what you're telling me, but, but I can speak in general terms that, you know, these things have appeal because people want to, you know, make things better for themselves or, specifically trying to solve some very specific problem with themselves, whether it's a mental problem or a money financial problem, which it often is related to. Um, there's an awful lot of stress and an awful lot of anxiety connected with uh, economics, right, with money. So, so it's easy. There are easy ways to, you know, hook people into these things. And a lot of people will, will judge from a distance you know, oh, those stupid idiots, you know, how could they fall for that? And it's like, well, if you were in their position, you'd fall for it too. So, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like to think I wouldn't be, but I mean, yeah, yeah that's the thing. <laughs> think that, but then the situation happens and people get fooled. And if you can be lied to, you can fall into a cult. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. so when you were in, um, 
Scientology. Did you, what, what kind of gave it away that, that this isn't, something's not right here. You know what I mean? Well, sure. Yeah. Um, well, being raised in it was certainly a nice primer, right? Because it, because it teaches you not to question things and teaches you the, you know, this sort of moral worldview that these are the good guys. These are the people in the white hats. These are the guys who are, who are doing something effective for, for saving the world. So, so being raised in that environment, it is very, very hard to start questioning or overcoming that, that level of, of indoctrination. But over time, I mean, I said 25 years, it's, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> you know, it took me a while to kind of pick up on what was going on. And, and it was really, at first it was, you know, degrading kind of comments, demeaning stuff, things that made me feel bad about myself and incredibly introvertive, uh, evaluative kind of things that were done to me as a young man or, you know, as a, as a young um, person in that group trying to do the work and being told it was never good enough, I was never enough. I was never producing enough. There were never enough money, never enough people, never enough resources. And so you think it's a personal failing and you start working harder and harder and harder until you realize one day, I can't work any harder than this. And this situation isn't going to change no matter how hard I work. There must be something else I need to do here. And that was when I hit 25 years old and after eight years of of slaving away in Santa Barbara, I thought, well, the problem is not just me. It's maybe it's where I'm at and what I'm able to do in this group. And that's why I signed that billion-year contract and went down to, to Hollywood and started working in the sea organization and the, you know, the whole paramilitary naval nonsense that Scientology gets up to. So, so that was a was an attempt to double down on my beliefs and on my, my moral foundations and on the idea that I could make a positive difference in this world if I was surrounded by other people who were as dedicated, as hardcore, right? What I now refer to, of course, is as fanatical. Uh, but I thought that was the way to go. And so I doubled down. Well, you know, after with, within 17 years of that experience was physical abuse. Um, sleep deprivation, food deprivation, um, psychological torture, and like I said, physical abuse. So you go, well, okay, I'm willing to give and give and give and give to this cause and even martyr myself for this cause. But there came a point where after years and years and years of flowing to Scientology and not getting anything back, that it started, I started thinking, wait a minute, something might not be right here. And there were betrayals and there were certain instances of things happening that were undeniable um, events th that were hypocritical, right? Like, you know, we were saying we were doing one thing when it was, when it was abundantly clear by my actual experience Oh, yeah, no, what we're saying we're doing and what we're actually doing are two completely different things. And I saw this with money. I saw this with broken up relationships and destroyed families. And I saw this um, even more with money. And then there was the physical abuse. And then finally, it became clear to me near the end but when I finally got out that I was going to keep giving I was 42 years old at this point. 
I had given the better part of my entire life to this thing. And it just suddenly, just dawned, you know, not suddenly, it was a slow progression like all of this is, but it finally hit me. I was never going to get back. I was never going to be, be receiving how much I'd been giving. The balance was so out of whack. And it was undeniable at that point. And uh, that was the point where, uh, you know, that and the lies I was having to tell in order to justify this existence, both to myself and to other people, mainly sci other Scientologists that I was lying to. And I just thought, ah, this is this is not this is not what I signed up for. This is not what this is what I want my life to be about. I've got a chance now to maybe hit a reset button and do something different here. And that's what I went ahead and did at great personal sacrifice because I lost everybody and everything. You know, I thank God I didn't lose my family. My family, my mom and my father, they had gotten out already. Um, but they were but they were kind of flying under the radar. They weren't really out and about and talking publicly about it. They were just going on with their lives. I am the big mouth in the family, right? So I um so I I got out and then seeing and learning about the just the levels of deception that I had not even been aware of. I mean, I knew that there were certain things in the church where it was misrepresenting itself or where it was saying one thing publicly, but privately they were doing other things. And you can give that a pass to a degree when you're an active, avid group member. You can justify that kind of thing, kind of, right? You can only do that for so long. And, and once the personal things got too much and I could sort of see through some of the, the layers of deception. I got out, but I had no idea, no idea what I actually was involved in. And that's what I've been spending the last 10 years of my life learning and educating other people about is just how bad is this? And not just Scientology, of course, but now these other kinds of groups. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what that'd be like. Like if you're already having mental health issues enough <laughs> yeah. to want to leave the group and then it's like walking yeah. outside and, oh, the, the sky is actually green, not blue. And right. yeah, like yeah. what kind of mental health effects did that have on you or, or, well, or having on you still? Well, quite a few. And and I, I'm pretty over it at this point. I mean, I'm not mad anymore and I'm not upset. And I'm not delusional anymore. But uh, at least not about Scientology. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's hard to describe. So first off, in terms of the emotional ride or journey of this, um, it's an awful lot like the stages of grief. You know, you have to go through some things. Um, stages of grief are great, but they're really much, much more than that. They really have to do with how one gains acceptance of almost anything. And you have to go through these various stages, denial, anger, you know, et cetera. And I went through all of those things many times. They, I, it's, a, it's a sort of a cyclic aspect. You come around and then you kind of come around again. And there's more anger revealed or more denial that you have to plow through because you don't want to believe how bad it was. And the fact of the matter is that something like Scientology is not 
really like anything else. It's not Catholicism. It's not Christianity. It's not Islam. It's it's Scientology. It is a deep, deep level of totalistic mind control. And you are being told you're doing one thing while the exact opposite is going on. You, you know, you, you think you're going free when in fact you are becoming enslaved. It's, it, it's, it's crazy how opposite world Scientology is and how they get away with it. But carefully crafted wording and certain practices of manipulation and control, you know, f- create an environment where you're just kind of going with the flow of it and, and you feel that that's the right thing to do. So overcoming that means learning about it, seeing how it applied to you and your life, how other people victimized you, but also how you victimized other people and went along with it and had to, you know, you had your own contributions to that too. And that's part of the package of recovering from that experience is seeing what you did too. And, and taking responsibility for that. And that's a later stage thing. We're not doing that on day one. You know, you got to a bunch of other stuff first but there's a journey here and i think that this is a journey that a lot of people walk some people get a little stuck on the road and you know some people get distracted along the way and some people jump from one cult to another because their emotional needs aren't satisfied or they don't even understand what their emotional needs are that's that's more common um and so you have, you know, you can have lots of different experiences along the way, but it basically it comes down to those stages of grief, right? Those stages of acceptance where you, you kind of have some things to work through, you know, and I've been working through all of those things through, through the years here. So there has been great deals of anger, great deals of grief and upset and gnashing of teeth and rending of garments and you know, all <laughs> that stuff. Ah, you know, uh, until you kind of learn to come to a place where you can let it all kind of go and you realize that it's awful. It's not like you're letting it go in terms of, well, now they get a pass. It's just you let it go because you don't have to stay emotionally invested in it. You don't have to hold on to that anger. You can release it and let it go and not let it continue to torture you or, 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 you know, weigh you down um, because that's still the group winning. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and you come to a place where you can move on past that and that's therapy, that's education. Um, I, I, you, you have to do both. I, I don't see any other way through it, but I don't want to project myself onto everybody else, but I, it's inconceivable to me that anybody could just walk away from a lifetime commitment to a destructive cult like Scientology and think they're fine. It does. It, that's, that's delusional. You know, it doesn't work that way. This sounds a lot like addiction recovery. I'm, I'm six years sober yes. and it's, uh, yes. Yeah. And then helping others is how is the 12th step is helping others to recover and come out of it. And so, yeah, yeah you're kind of, yeah. you're there now. <laughs> that's right. But yeah, actually that's very much so. And I've kind of been there from day one. I mean, that's something, like I said, I got a big mouth. <laughs> so I, I, I really, you know, I have a thing about like, you know, letting everybody else know what's going on. Uh, and I like 
I really like educating people. It's a true joy for me. And it was something that I used to do in Scientology. I was a, I was a supervisor, which means a kind of an instructor. That was one of the many jobs that I held there. And I was good at it. And I really enjoyed teaching people things. And so um, now I get to teach people things that are true. <laughs> <laughs> So, so when you join the Sea Org, like that's the are that is that the group that like when people try to leave, they go after them and like follow them around and do all that weird, creepy stuff. They can, they do that. I haven't had that happen to me, but that has happened to people. Absolutely, what they do is they're is they're stalking and harassing people who now are speaking out against Scientology in a very public way that might have some threat or danger, you know, immediate threat or danger to Scientology. My work is a long-term threat to Scientology. I get people out of there, but they don't see me as the threat that I am because they have bigger fish to fry with Leah Remini or Mike Rinder or, you know, Tony Ortega, people who have larger audiences than I do. So therefore they must be the targets and they're wrapped up in lawsuits and criminal. There's a criminal trial right now with one prominent VIP Scientology celebrity who's uh, credibly accused of multiple rapes. Mm -hmm. And um, they're wrapped up in that stuff. So they don't really have time for people like me. And I'm okay with that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here to be harassed by Scientology. I'm here to tell the truth. And so I've, I've uh, for whatever reason, you know, managed to avoid them going through my trash and following me around and all that. That could happen tomorrow. I mean, it's not like Scientology has changed its stripes. You know, it's they, they're still the, the totalist control organization that they are. They just ignore me for whatever reason, and I'm okay with that. But when you were in the Sea Org, did you have to do that kind of stuff? No. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Okay. a special branch that does that. I had no idea. No idea. And most Scientologists don't of what the church actually gets up to. Hmm. If I knew that we were stalking and harassing and following and going through trash and uh, actually the going through trash part, I did hear hints and hints about here and there, but I never understood how deep or how atrocious and criminal those actions were. You know, there's a one thing about investigating a bad guy so you can take him to court and that's kind of what I thought was going on. And all of that activity is siloed into a, a subunit within Scientology called the Office of Special Affairs, at OSA, OSA. And that group is very tight-lipped. Uh, everything happens behind locked doors, and it's none of your damn business, and you don't get to ask questions about what they're up to. So I had plenty of other work to do, so I wasn't paying attention to that. I was internal facing. I was dealing with Scientology and Scientologists and, and doing things, trying to grow it. Hmm. Um, I did notice there's some websites about you out there that I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. this doesn't seem do right. That. <laughs> yeah, they did that. that's true. I did get that. Um, that was the day after I appeared on Scientology in the Aftermath, Leah's um, Emmy Award winning show. After I was on that, they took some notice of me and they they had my ex-wife trash me on video and it's it's pretty you know demeaning silly stuff because all of it is based on half truths and nonsense i mean they got the dates wrong of when my son was born i mean how if you can't get that right you know it's like, <laughs> how are you how are you doing this you know so, research <laughs> yeah it seemed a little silly i mean they have full access to my entire life i confessed 
everything to them that I had ever said and done. You know, and not just in this lifetime, but in past lifetimes. <laughs> and that's the best they can do, and they don't even get it right. I mean, come on, guys. You know, so it's all rather silly. Did did you have to leave your children when you left the church? The I did not. No, fortunately, I had a son out of wedlock while I was a Scientologist, and he was born and raised in Australia with his mom. And he's a great guy, and I'm in touch with him now. We're Facebook friends and all that. And I went out after I got out. I actually went and met him for the first time. I went over to Australia, and I spent uh, a week over there and had, had a great time meeting my son. Hmm. Um, I had never been afforded the time or money or resources to be able to do that as a Scientologist. And nobody cared, right? They didn't care at all until suddenly I left the Sea Org and left Scientology and started speaking out. And then suddenly... I'm this awful dad. And it's like, well, where the hell were you guys for the first 20 years of his life? You know, where was I? I was a fanatical Scientologist and I and I wasn't there. And so he was raised by his mom. And he fortunately, his mom's a Scientologist to this day. Oh. But he is not. Oh, nice. And she never forced it on him to her credit. Hmm. And I have nothing against her or what she did, or how she handled him, or raised him, because she did a, she frankly did a damn good job, despite being a Scientologist. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. I, I, now, one of my favorite musicians is Beck, and he was yeah. born into Scientology, and it's like, it's this, uh, it bothers me. <laughs> it's like, well, it's, he's, you know he's not a Scientologist anymore, right? Oh, no? Yeah, he's out. Oh, yes. Okay, good. Yes. You, may be, yeah, you just made my out. day. <laughs> yeah, about, about two or three years ago, he publicly stated he was no longer practicing or involved in Scientology. And that's a big deal. Yeah. Just saying that publicly will force the Church of Scientology to take action against you because it's, an, it's a written down law. It's a crime in Scientology to publicly disavow Scientology. Hmm. So just saying that, he knew, of course, he knows that. Every Scientologist does. It's in their ethics book. They have a whole book of ethics and rules and crimes and high crimes. And, and denouncing Scientology is one of the most criminal things you can do as a Scientologist. So, um, so he, he really put a lot on the line just saying that much. Um, but good for him. And there's an awful lot of second generation, third generation Scientologists who are doing that, who have stepped away, stepped out and said, yeah, screw this. You know, this was my, something my parents were doing. This isn't my thing. And, and that's, and good on them for doing that. Hmm. No, I didn't realize that. Oh, that's good. Um, hmm. no offense to any Scientologists out there. It's just, uh, you're a little kooky. <laughs> well, they have an odd belief system. That is for sure. Um, you know, and and to be clear, um, it's not the beliefs that make it a cult. Right. It's what they do with the beliefs. You know, there are Christian cults. I, I don't have a big problem with Christian um, belief sets, you know, and turn the other cheek, be kind to your neighbor. That kind of, There's nothing wrong with those beliefs. Um, but you dial it up and you use those beliefs to browbeat or abuse other people or justify violence towards them. And that's when you stepped over a line. That's when your beliefs are now rationalizing criminal or, or violent behavior. That's when you have to step back and question, wait a second, what is, what's going on here? What's, what are we doing? Um, 
so it's not, you know, the fact that people are drinking the blood and body of Christ <laughs> that makes Catholics bad. It's the fact that Catholic priests have abused children and and the Catholic Church has covered it up. That's the that's the problem. And and, you, and I always try to be super clear about that point because it's an important one. You know, there are there are no shortage of absolutely batshit, insanely crazy beliefs all over this world. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, people believe really stupid stuff. And if you give a person a good enough reason to believe something, they're capable of believing anything. Yeah. Some people think Winnipeg Blue Bombers are the best football team in the world. Uh, well, Sorry, you know. know. If that's what you want to believe. <laughs> but you it's not the belief. It's its what you do with it. Right, right, right. Um, now, I've heard in this this group that where all the women, local women are going now in Florida, that a lot of them are almost like they're being convinced that they were abused by their husbands and stuff. And like, yeah, it, it sounds like that's a common thing in, in a lot of these kind of groups where it's like they convince people that, even that like they were sexually assaulted by their parents and stuff like this. And then, so then that, so then they cut the ties off of everyone and anyone around them, except for people in, in their group or cult or whatever. Is, is that something that was common in a Scientology? Like doing those, what's that thing where you hold the bars and that then. Oh, <laughs> with the e-meters. E-meters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can talk about the e-meter, but let's. But to address your point of us versus them and the and the sort of in-group, out-group thing yeah. that happens. Right? Yeah. That's a. It's a great observation, and it's and it's a hundred percent on point. One of the key characteristics of a group, if you're looking at a group and you're trying to figure out is this a cult or not, don't look at the beliefs. You got to look at what they're doing. And one of the key things that these groups do across the boards it's it's a it's an inherent characteristic of a destructive cult that they must instill an us versus them mindset they have to get you in a frame of mind that you're in the group that's the good guys and they're all the bad guys and those bad guys out there mean you harm they mean to do you bad and we are the good guys we have the truth with a capital t we have the way we have the light, we have the whatever, the sacred science, and nobody else does. So we have an advantage over them. We are a higher status of person because of what we know or because of what we do. And when you start thinking that way, I don't care what your belief set, your ideology, your purpose or mission. If you start thinking about other people that way, you have put yourself on the road to extremism because mm -hmm. it only gets ramped up more and more the longer you're with the group. And they give you more and more reasons to believe that we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. And those reasons might include they abuse you, they hurt you, they mean you harm. Well, maybe that's true, and there certainly are no shortage of domestic partnerships that maybe shouldn't exist mm -hmm. because of abusive relationships. But to say broadly, all men, all women, all this, all that, these generalized kind of terms and, and, and uh, conditions that get set, that's where you're creating a mindset where a person gets into a frame of mind that they feel a little hunted, paranoid, concerned, anxious, worried about what those other people are doing or thinking, and they need to, 
seek the protection and solace and care of their group. And the more reliant you become on a group, any group, the more susceptible you can become to this kind of thinking. And that's not good thinking, right? Because we are all human beings and we are all on the same planet and we do all share the same biology, even if we don't share the same ideology. And it's, it behooves us to recognize that and realize that other people are not, just because they have different ideas than you, that doesn't make them evil, horrible, awful people, you know? But, but people fall into that very easily. And that's what cult leaders take advantage of. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Stick around. I'm just going to give a quick little break here and talk about episode 34, wherein I talked to Rachel Balsarek. Uh She didn't leave her house for four years. She had fears of, M- M- I can't pronounce it, emetophobia. Uh, but she also had agoraphobia because of her emetophobia became so bad. And I, I check it out. And it, it's a really fascinating story. And she's a really lovely lady. And she's Scottish, so she's got a cool accent. So that's episode 34 with Rachel Balsarek. Back to the episode. Well, they're not dummies, them cult nope. leaders. No. Nope. It sounds like. They are not. And, and like, uh, is it. Who's the leader of Scientology? Ron L. Hubbard? No, David Miscavige now. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, did he start the uh, that whole mili- secret military police kind of group, or was that there before? Oh, no. That's all the brainchild of L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. It seems like- La- Lafayette, Lafayette Ron Hubbard, <laughs> by the way. That's why, <laughs> that's why it's L. <laughs> oh, wow. Because um, yeah. it seems like any kind of dictator on earth ever, they always have this secret police that like, it, yeah. So yes, man, it's part of the, it's part of what's called the dictator problem. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, if you're going to be a dictator and you're going to succeed at the job, then there are certain things that have to be in place. And one of those things is as the dictator, your word is law. And there are going to be people who are going to disagree with you. And you're going to have to deal with that disagreement. And the more they disagree and the more they want their way rather than your way, the more you're going to need an enforcement arm. And that's where the secret police and the overt police come into play. And you balance those two forces, but you use them to maintain your dictatorship status. And this is dictatorship 101. Man. So you you mix the two together and... You just get it like it's it's baffling to me, like the amount of talk about Scientology in the last 20 years that people are still joining. Like, is, is it not a lar- like a, a farce now? Like, how, how are they? The memberships must be dropping like flies. It has been shrinking like crazy over the last 15 years. The the first major exposure of Scientology on a very public scale um well, there's, I mean, there's a Time Magazine article back from 1991, and that was pretty bad. That hit them pretty hard. But Scientology hit back. They filed a hundreds of millions of dollars lawsuit against Time Magazine. They lost the lawsuit, but, but nobody cared because Time Magazine had to spend so much money defending themselves that they um, were never going to run a Scientology story again, <laughs> right? And neither was any other media outlet. Through the 1990s, they got a real pass by a lot of media because of that. 
So the 2000s come along and the group, the hacker hacktivist group Anonymous mm. steps up to the plate and takes on Scientology after they tried to suppress that video about Tom Cruise talking crazy. You know, Scientology had to try to, try to take that video down. And, and Anonymous went, oh, no, you don't. And then they started looking into Scientology and started exposing it and publicly demonstrating in front of churches of Scientology all over the world. It was the most organic amazing mass protest I've, I've ever seen. And Scientology was what just, just had no idea how to deal with this. They were completely unprepared for it. Their entire rule book and playbook from L. Ron Hubbard from the 1950s on was you go find the individual critic or the small group of critics and you destroy them. You ruin them utterly. That's the Hubbard policy. It's ruin them utterly. But how do you do that with thousands of people walking around your buildings all over the world? It's too, it, was, it, it blew them away. They had no response to it. And that was um, a real blow to Scientology, which showed the media... Oh, they can get weak. And they do have a black eye. They can... They're not really the big fanged monster we thought they were. And so the media and then some key figures came out of Scientology. They escaped. Uh, Mike Rinder, um, uh, Mark Headley. They pushed, They published some books. They got on media. And these were big wig Scientologists. These were not small time Scientologists. People recognized their names. And they spoke up and then there were documentaries and then there were TV shows. And so the 2000s and the 2010s were not kind to Scientology and all that public exposure showed them up to be, you know, the cowardly, weak, reprehensible, violent group that they are. And so uh, membership dried up and is still dried up and they've been losing more people than they've been getting. And we actually estimate right now, just numbers-wise, these are estimates. Scientology is not transparent with its numbers, but we did, the people who are doing this, me and other people who talk about this, uh, these are educated um, guesses. You know, these are, this is based on data we really had and, and saw while we were in the church. So you don't have millions of members. You have about maybe at this point, maybe 30,000 active Scientologists all over the world. Oh. And that's a high figure right now. Hmm. So they'll claim, they have claimed in the media, tens of millions of members, but they have no records or data to back that up. I've seen the records and data. That's why I can say that with such certainty. I've, I've, I was exposed to that information, and it's it's not there. Do you ever meet, uh, um, oh my God, I was about to say Tom Hanks. The other guy, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Thank you. Oh my God, these these HDHD no. meds aren't doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I met John Travolta. I met um, a couple other Scientology celebs, but I never met Tom Cruise in person. Mm-hmm. Man, I, yeah. he's so I, I unlikable to me. <laughs> he is he's a horrible person. Yeah, I say this everywhere I go. Tom Cruise is an asshole. He's, he's, he's just not at all interested in anybody but himself. And Scientology enables and empowers him. And so he's not going to leave Scientology. He's also not going to take over Scientology for just to kill that whole concept because I get people asking me that all the time. Is Tom Cruise going to take over when David Miscavige is gone? It's like, no, that's not his thing. 
he's he's all about public adoration and his world would shrink enormously if he took over Scientology. That's not that's not what he wants to do. Mm, he likes he likes being the poster boy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Man, yeah. yeah. For for years now, even before he was jumping on Oprah's couch, I thought this, I don't like this guy at all. <laughs> no, he's always been um a bit of an ego monster and that's notable all the way back to, you know, stories from the first set he was on with the with the outsiders and stuff. I mean, the guy's always just been f- chock-a-block full of himself. And he therefore was the perfect candidate for Scientology. And he fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And he has um, estranged his own daughter, you know, his ex-wives. I mean, the man has a past of broken relationships. And everybody looks at him as though he's some kind of Greek god. And it's really quite sad because the man is a pathetic loser and an ego monster. But they don't see that because he has a winning smile and he, and he flies big planes and rides around on motorcycles. And people believe that that's what he's really like. And it's not true. Gross. Like yeah. I, I heard Katie Holmes actually like I heard the word like escape. It's not like she left him. She had to like escape. Correct. It was a little bit of an operation. It took her weeks to set up. She had to. She had the help of her father, who's a high-powered lawyer in New York. They had bodyguards and various friends and stuff set things up for her, and she did escape from him. And she had to wait till he was out of the country to do it. Man. Yeah, Tom Cruise. I'm telling you, there there are indications with this guy that he is really bad news behind closed doors, and. You know, people just don't want to hear it because they love that guy's smile. Mm-hmm. They show him the money. Silly, but it's true. Yeah, money, money, money. You know? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, so since leaving, you've remarried and have... I have. Uh, do you have children now with your new marriage? I do, I, not new children. No, I just okay. have my adult son. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, and uh, what was it like for your parents to leave? And to, like, it must have been a wonderful reunion to like be with them again like were you cut off from them when they left no i was not um no they did not because they did not speak out publicly right they just flew under the radar we call that's a term we use under the radar it's a it's a term for you just kind of that another term for it is uh physically in mentally out pimo um there's there's a series of of little uh expressions like that you know physically in physically or physically in mentally out um, physically in, mentally in, anyway, all the, all the different things. But they were out, but they didn't make a big, broad announcement about it. And so Scientology ignored them. And um, and you can kind of get away with that, you know, if, especially if you live distant from a, a local church of Scientology. Uh, they'll send people to your door. I used to be one of the guys that would come knocking on your door to get you back. But it's not like they're going to physically, you know, grab you and take you back in. I'm talking about that, you know, you got to convince a person to come back in and and cajole them into it and, and you know, and, and sort of sell them on it again. And that was that was something I did. It's called recovery. We would go out and do recovery of Scientologists. So people tried to recover my parents. Um, my parents divorced, by the way, and remarried non-Scientologists. So that helped. Uh, but they were just one on with their lives. And in 2012, when I left, I contacted both of them separately and said I was on the fence. I was having doubts. I wasn't sure what I was wanted to do with myself. And they were very supportive. Um, 
I actually did an interview with my mom that went went on for quite some time. We talked about all of this and how and how I didn't want to cause that disconnection to have to happen, and they didn't want to cause that to happen. So we had to kind of talk to each other, sort of, you know, tent, you know, kind of carefully. But they made it clear that they would be there for me if I left. And that was what I needed to hear. That was the support. That's all the support I needed to have to be able to take that leap. Because that was the big question for me is if I leave here, I'm 42 years old. I ain't got no resume. I've got no place to stay. I've got no car. I've got nothing. What am I going to do? I mean, that alone will keep you in a group, even if you hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Right? Because you ain't got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So having a support network is a big deal. And um, and I made sure I had something in place before I took that jump. And that's what enabled me to do it, you know, because um, if I hadn't taken that jump and my parents had, you know, anyway, there's a there's there's a lot there. But <laughs> yeah, well, we, we could do. Uh, well, that's why you have your own show. You can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. There's just levels to this, you know, it's, it's complicated for people. Yeah. It's a lot to cover in an hour, your whole story and <laughs> everything. But so now, so now do you help others that come out kind of, um, recalibrate themselves to what the real world is and, and kind of clue them into, into what the church was and how all the lies and everything? Yes. I would say in fact that that's actually one of the main purposes of my channel. Not only does it document in my own recovery and work, but it's it's a very much an educational resource for people coming out of cults. I have interviews with psychologists and sociologists and even neuroscientists. I mean, we really go deep on my channel about how memory works and how, you know, the brain works and why it is that people are susceptible to this stuff at a very basic level and how emotions work. And I, I enjoy the hell out of this stuff. I find it fascinating uh, to learn all of this and try to help other people with it. So you can go in at a surface level or you can go deep. Uh, the videos and work are there for you on my channel. And now that I've gotten this degree and have some feeling of, of credentials. I, I'm not a therapist. I am not a counselor, but I do offer consulting to people as a professional service now because I can help people. I've done it for years, um, helping people out of these groups or helping people to reacclimate to the big wide world. And there's a lot to it. So I, I like helping people with that. I think it's, uh, it's very rewarding work. What would you tell parents or spouses of of others that have, have gone and joined uh, a cult, you know, because they're, they're sitting there worried. Some of them, like some of the people I know, their kids are gone and they're like, like, okay, you join a cult, but now you took the kids too and they're trying to get their kids back and it's, uh, you know, so, so what, what what's a piece of advice you give to people that have a loved one that's in a cult that they're worried about? Sure. The very first piece of advice and probably the most important one is don't do anything that's going to cause that person to disconnect or shun you because you cannot help them at all if they won't listen to you. So if that means you have to swallow your pride, swallow your considerations, swallow your anger, deal with your own nonsense, about, you know, your own thoughts and ideas, I mean, I don't mean nonsense, but you know, your own internal problems or issues with this group or with what your loved one is doing, you gotta, you gotta hold, you gotta hold that back. You, you can't just dump all that on the person, and speak your truth and think that they're gonna 
just listen to that and be okay with it. Because, uh, you know, again, that's that us versus them thing. Let me stress that. They're in a place, they're in a headspace in a group that is actively creating that mindset in them. They're looking for an excuse to disconnect from you, to shun you, to kick you out of their life. Because they want to be part of this new wonderful thing and you just don't get it. And they do. They're in the group. They get they're they're full of of all the the, the beliefs and the ideas and the wonderful awe and you know the the glory of it and how wonderful it is. And here you come along, Mr. Wet Blanket Spoil Sport, telling them it's all lies and deception and nonsense. They don't want to hear that from you. You know, they don't want to hear that at all. So unless you're very good at getting that across to them and you can do that and you know what you're doing and very few people do, uh, don't do it. Don't go there, right? Instead, talk about the things you still have in common. Don't talk about the group. Talk about other stuff. Talk about things that, 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 that are the basis of your relationship in the first place. Demonstrate love and caring and compassion with them, not hatred and antagonism and you know and this oh you're just a stupid idiot for falling for all this stuff you tell people stuff like that you're pushing them into the cult you know that's how it works that's how people are when you when you when you get defensive you double down on your position you don't go oh you got a point you know that's not how this works right so this this is just basic psychology i'm talking about here um, there's exceptions to all these rules. And, and this is why sometimes, you know, consultation with professionals is necessary because context is always king. It, it, the, the circumstances, the group, how long the person's been involved, whether there's romantic relationships involved in the group, whether they're married into the group, whether, you know, these, whether their job depends on them being in the group. All of these are considerations, right? And for you to come along and just just badmouth it, they're not gonna believe you. And and so instead of doing all that, highlight and accentuate the positives of your relationship and work on concentrating on those parts. Because eventually, statistically speaking, eventually, and if it's a year or two, or three, or four, then that's what it is. But eventually, they will start questioning what they're involved in. Because the group is a destructive cult. And it will give them reasons to question. It will do bad things to them. It, it can't help it. That's what. That's the whole point of destructive cults. And again, we can talk about MLMs. We're talking about uh, religious groups. We're talking about you know petty dictators who run martial arts dojos. You know, you get cultic situations. Gurus. Yeah, gurus. Any group can turn into this kind of authoritarian little tyrant setup. It all depends on the nature of the relationship between the leader and the followers. So you're trying to insert yourself into that relationship. Don't. Just be there for the person. Be a sounding board for them. Be somebody they can go to. Always let them know, I'm here for you no matter what. Hmm. I'm not going to judge you. Boy, that's, And then don't judge them. That's a lot of know? patience. Yes, it is. It's an awful lot. And unfortunately, by the time people come to me or my channel or come to try to learn about this from other people, I mean, I'm not the only one doing this, 
But by the time people start looking, they've already made too many, you know, or a bunch of mistakes. They got pissed at the person. They yelled at them. They told them what a fool they were. They insulted them. They, you know, they've almost broken the relationship already. And so that's why I stress this stuff is kind of like, no, 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 no. Pull yourself back. Control yourself. Don't do that to them. Just be a friend or a family member and unconditionally love the person no matter what the hell they're they're getting involved in. That doesn't mean, by the way, and this is really crucial too, that doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Don't lie to them. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say, oh, that Dianetics sounds like great stuff. Don't don't say that if you don't think that. <laughs> E-meters, get me one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just don't go there. Right. You know, it's it's easier and better to do that. Hmm. Avoid those and talk about the weather. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Maintain the relationship because then you have an opportunity in the future to be there for the person when they inevitably start having questions and doubts about the group. And uh, that's that's the best advice I've got for people. I know it's a little long winded, but I I I just I, I. I get passionate about this stuff because people screw it up so often. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's good because there's, like I said, if I don't know how many listeners I have in my own hometown, but if there are people around here that know what I'm talking about, this thing that's phenomenal that's happening around here right now, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's better to know this now than like you said later and you've already kind of pushed them away or they'll stay in the cult out of spite because you told them they're stupid or whatever. Yeah. That's right. Let me let me actually let me say one more caveat on this uh, real fast because it's important to say this. Um, You know, generalized advice is only generalized advice. Right. I can only like I said, context is king. And there are circumstances where a person is in physical danger or they are putting other people in physical danger. And I mean, like real real danger of losing their lives or losing their limbs or somehow hurting themselves or others in a significant way. If you are absolutely positive that's what's going on or you are fearful about that going on, you are perfectly within your rights to contact local authorities and have them look into it, okay? So I want to put that there because some of these groups get pretty extreme, right, and do really nasty, crazy stuff, including rituals or or practices that are harmful to people physically and even dangerous or or destructive of their livelihood so sexually um, children or trafficking or well that 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 was another question i was gonna say is like some of these cults they're like doomsday ones there's like a you know there's a big clock ticking down we all gotta drink whatever on whatever day and so man yeah that that'd be tough being a, a loved one trying to deal with that and try to yeah. filter out the, the shit that they're feeding you and get the truth. Of, you know, it's one thing if a friend of mine joined Scientology, I know there's no count doomsday countdown or anything. You can be patient, you can wait it out, but I mean, you never know some of these yeah, other ones. Yeah. If you're dealing with a heaven's gate. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, that's, yeah, you, then then it then it would be rational and justified to take other more extreme action to try to intervene. But even there, you know, study the situation as best you can first. Know before you go, because there are some lines you're not going to be able to cross and then pull back. Right. You call the cops on somebody there. That's a point of no return. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So oh, you, so you really 
You want to be sure. As a father, you know? this just makes me sick. This is like, oh my god. That's why I hope I, t- I hope that we could educate people on this kind of stuff before all of that has to happen. You know, that's the that's the challenge we have in this field. I'm curious if you like you said the numbers of Scientology have dropped way down, but I wonder in cults in general if they're down or if they're up or. Generally speaking, they're up, um, and the reason why is anxiety. Right, emotional anxiety and and depression and economic stress and worry. These things, you know, put people in a state of mind that they become a little frantic or a little concerned or upset, and that makes them more vulnerable. Um, you know, it's an unfortunate thing about our minds and their brains that the more revved up you are emotionally, the less thinking you're able to do. And um, and this is a world we live in now that's pretty complicated. Or, you know, we're in a pretty... Or at least cr- less, less critical thinking you're, you're able to do. Well, it, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I mean, yeah. is, 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 is questioning what's going on around you. Or, you know, if you find something that is very emotionally satisfying to you in the moment, your brain's not going to just kick in and start telling you, hey, hold on a second now. Oh, wait a minute. This might not be good for us unless you train your brain to do that. It's not an organic response to question good things, good feelings, euphoria, awe, you know, this wonderful experiences that people can be induced to have you're not set up to question that kind of thing. And, and that's the discipline of critical thinking. But, um, but anybody can be lured or, or entrapped into this kind of stuff. And, and really, frankly, how smart you are has very little to do with it. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, you know. yeah, I mean, I like to say I, I would never do it, but you know, when we were locked down and there was all this QAnon stuff going around, the, there was a f- couple of weeks there. I was like, "What, really? Oh, Hollywood's eating babies!" And oh, and then uh, and then it's like, "Wait a minute, fuck this!" You know, <laughs> but uh, you know, right. if I was just a little more vulnerable or just the right in time, I might have been right in there like a dirty shirt. But um, that's right. So yeah, that's right. Well, especially when you know, and and on something like that, you know, the awful the awfulness is that the world isn't is it can be rather an awful place. Yeah, there's there's like sprinkles of truth in it too, right? It's like exactly, and you can find that, but that doesn't mean that Hillary Clinton's a pedophile, you know, baby eater. I mean, come on, it's like we don't have to connect those dots quite so strongly. Jeffrey Epstein is a monster. Ghislaine Maxwell is a monster, and they're and they got caught and they're in prison now. And there's a lot of questions about how many people were involved with them and that kind of thing from both ends of the political aisle. But, mm-hmm. you know, to, but, but the way you know that the, how goofy this is, is all the noise being made about it is uh, one sided. It's, oh, well, it's all the Republicans. No, it's all the Democrats. <laughs> no, man, it's all of them. I mean, it's, it, that has nothing to do with whether somebody is a pedophile. Yeah. Yeah, you could be a pedophile on either end of the ideological. <laughs> yes, spectrum, you know? yeah, we're politicizing pedophilia now. <laughs> I know it's just, it's so dumb, you know. And, I, and for people like me, I I go, guys, come on, can't we do better at this? Uh, you know, because QAnon is as crazy as it gets. I mean, that I've been down the QAnon rabbit hole. It's not personally believing it, but I used to be a conspiracy theorist when I was in Scientology. It's a key part of the Scientology mythology that conspira- that you embrace 9-11 truther levels of conspiracy. 
theory. L. Ron Hubbard was a conspiracy theorist. So, so I used to listen to Alex Jones. I used to listen to David Icke. I used to watch their DVDs. I used to use this information to recruit Scientologists. <laughs> so, you know, so I'm very familiar with their shtick. And it's a fear-mongering, illogical shtick. They, they connect dots that don't connect. And yet, you know, when you get people anxious and riled up and looking for answers and they don't really understand how the world works or their place in it or how macroeconomics works or how, you know, foreign relations work and how countries relate to each other, they come up with goofy ideas, you know, and um, and those goofy ideas, unfortunately, that ignorance can be fed and taken advantage of. And so that's how you get things like flat earth and QAnon and this kind of nonsense. Man, flat earth. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Down that rabbit hole too. <laughs> now, last summer, uh, yeah. I, I ran into a lady who I hadn't seen in, okay, I'm 45, so it would have been over 30 years. Uh, I used to babysit her daughter. And she gave me a big, wonderful embrace. And, How are you doing? And our families were kind of friends and stuff. And it was, oh, we're, uh, you know, just having a nice talk for about two minutes. And within two minutes, she's telling me how there's deep underground military bases and they're all connected. And the local city here is, they're uh, transporting children and, and money and all the, you know, like all this crazy stuff. And so, this is, so this is rife. Canada as well. Yeah, there oh, we yeah. go. Oh yeah, she's a teacher. Yeah. And she's a teacher. I was like my my jaw dropped. I was like, well, it was good catching up with you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, wow. I actually yeah, I came across a flat earther uh English teacher one time on Twitter and I was like, Oh, somebody needs to let this guy's, you know, school know what's going on because it's it's you know, there's a level of of belief and then there's delusion and paranoia and actual clinical pathology there you know and it when you're down to the level of flat earth you are in a, a land of pure delusion and it's a dangerous place to be and i am not suggesting that there's some organic biological component there but i'm saying that you've bought into a worldview and headspace that is truly disturbed and, and it really does need it, it, it really craves professional help and I wish I wish we had more resources to give that help. And that's the big, the biggest problem is not that that exists. The biggest problem is that we don't have the resources to combat it. I don't know. I mean, this is still on topic, I guess, but it's a little less than, you know, trying to leave a cult and the mental health effects sure. and all that stuff. But sure, but sure. but still, at the same time, you're, I agree that if you truly believe that the Earth is flat, there's still some kind of mental health possibly issue there. Possibly. Something something something. Something that there's right. a lot there's actually a book called um uh what is it amongst the truthers brilliant book it's very good very good book i i do recommend it i can't remember the author's name but it's called among the truthers and it's a deep study of conspiracy theory and the author provides about seven or eight different explanations for why people fall down a conspiracy mindset or rabbit hole and mental health issues are actually a minority of reasons why um it's really not, you know, that you mentally ill people, people who actually have cognitive impairments and, and an inability to logically think generally don't go down these rabbit holes because they're complicated, convoluted, 
lots of moving parts to them. And and truly deranged people have a hard time thinking that clearly. There are other reasons people go down these rabbit holes that have a lot to do with emotional investment and trauma. And that really can't be um, understated, right? It's it's it, Trauma is a powerful motivator. If you lose a child, you are somebody who can become susceptible to anti-vax rhetoric very much easier than, say, you or me. Mm-hmm. Because you have just had the most devastating loss of your life, and you are desperately craving answers. Right. And suddenly, here's a very easy-to-understand one. Oh, these vicious, evil doctors and the vicious, evil corporations. And let's face it, the corporations are kind of vicious and evil. They can be. So yeah. it's not a hard sell. <laughs> yeah. you know? That's that sprinkle of truth there. That's right. And they're, you know, they didn't test those vaccines and vaccines caused this and that and the other thing. And that's why your child is dead. And once you cling to that, once you accept that as the reason, you'll go to the ends of the earth to right that wrong. And that's not mentally ill. No. That's just grossly misinformed. And so overly emotionally committed because of the trauma that they can't think their way through any other, you, you can't counter it with any facts, you know? And that's what, that's an example, one example of, of, of how this happens. Thank you so much, Chris. You are very informative and you're just a, just an all around super nice guy. Uh, I wish you all the best in the future. And, you know, I, I look forward to possibly collaborating with you again and, and having you on again. Uh, I kind of talked about some local women and uh, some issues with a cult going on around here. And uh, I'm going to see if I can't figure out a little bit more and maybe interview somebody about that. Uh, we'll see in the future here. But anyway, thanks, Chris. So last week I spoke with Shiva. Uh, she's an Iranian woman who is now a student here in Canada. She had a very, oh, I'd say emotional, very touching interview. And somebody wrote in to me about about that interview. Uh, her name is JC Dawn. She says, Oh my goodness, my heart breaks for this woman. This episode was absolutely heart-wrenching. To hear the sadness in her voice made me feel a little more grateful for my freedom and safety today. I really hope... You get some relief and goodness comes to you. Thank you for sharing, Shiva. Thank you, JC Dunn. Uh, I couldn't agree more. My, it was very heart-wrenching and, and she's such a sweet lady. And I've actually known Shiva for, oh, about a year, I think, uh, through mental health stuff. And I think I'm going to meet her this weekend for a coffee. Uh, she's coming to my hometown here where I'm living. So that'll be nice. I'm recording a live episode with stand-up comedian Big Daddy Taz at the Indian Head Grand Theater on January 13th. And those tickets have been sold out mostly because the entire local high school is coming. So there wasn't a whole lot of seats available, but I, it sounds like uh, there's not gonna be any room. So that's pretty cool. That's uh, 1.30 p.m. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And there's also an event in Regina, Saskatchewan that I will be speaking at at the Conexus Arts Center January 25th. And it's called More Joy Regina. You can go online and look that up and get some tickets. Uh, I'm not the keynote speaker. Uh, There's going to be a few speakers there and it's just going to be a really, really great event. 
do you have some teenagers that you would like to, uh, to be exposed a little more to around um, mental health and uh, you know positive mental health and some tools and stuff please go to youthmatter.ca and every uh, that's not every Tuesday but on there's certain Tuesday nights throughout the month where they have guest speakers and it's all over zoom and stuff and uh, it's all based towards youth so if you have any youths and you have a computer or they have a, a phone uh, please go to youthmatter.ca and check out their Teen Talk Tuesdays. And also, if you want to send a, a message or a note or a letter or a question or a, a comment or, a, a, or some hate mail or some fan mail, <laughs> whatever, uh, please follow me on Bunny Hugs and Mental Health on Facebook, Bunny Hugs Podcast on Instagram, and Bunny Hugs Podcast on TikTok. And there's also videos and clips and uh, some memes and stuff you could check out. And uh, yeah, that, that yeah, send me something something to read. Before I go, I just want to give a shout out to my buddy Joel. I love you, man. I'm I'm thinking about you, and I, I hope to see you soon. Um, yeah, I'm, my mind's a little distracted right now because uh, I know you're hurting right now. So hey, buddy, uh, hope to talk to you soon. Uh, and as for everyone else, uh, please remember to make your beds and to take your meds. Bye.